You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Editor Shelly Whitehead, and so glad you're here with us today. And you know, when it comes to QSR brands, Golden Chick stands out from the other chicken concepts with its laser focus on families as its primary customer and inclusion of less traditional offerings like fried catfish, fried okra, hot yeast rolls, and even dirty rice. Yes, it is indeed a Southerner at heart, but maybe more importantly to our audience is that as of late, it's a very popular Southerner. Just ahead, we'll turn the mic over to the brand's president and CEO, Mark Parmalee, to find out what's behind the brand's latest roast burton. Who eats all that fried catfish anyway? And then in the second half of today's show, we'll check in with Food Service Packaging Institute President Lynn Dyer for the lowdown on their latest poll of members to find out which restaurant category has the lion's share of food packaging producers' attention these days. Print it's perhaps not the segment you think it is. And also, she'll tell us what kinds of weird and wonderful options are emerging to help brands keep their sustainable packaging pledges as they move into the future. And that's all just ahead after this. Are you a supplier or a brand working to elevate the customer experience? The Interactive Customer Experience Association connects brands, suppliers, agencies, and more who are working to create transcendent customer experiences. Let's work together to create a better customer experience ecosystem for us all. Join the ICX Association today at ICXA.org. And welcome to the podcast, Mark. How are you today? Shelly, I'm doing great. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, All right. Let's just delve deeper into this interesting brand. Uh, Can can we just start off first by you giving us a status check on the chick, so to speak? In other words, where is the brand store number-wise, geographically, and how has your last year's performance been? No, well, good. We uh, have 184 units and and climbing. We have a, a very active uh, pipeline. Um, the the brand started in '67 in uh, Texas, but uh, we're now in Oklahoma, uh, and then we jump to the southeast, mostly because I have family there and I know those markets, uh, particularly in South Carolina. So we're in South Carolina. Georgia and Florida, um, and it the performances has been great. Uh, we, you know, sales wise, uh, the last or first half of last year we were, uh, you know, sl- flat to slightly down, and then we trended up uh, during the last half of the year, and then um, this year uh, we're up. Uh, four to five percent. It's been a very good first quarter, and uh, we we think that will hold throughout the year. Uh, and and our pipeline is great. We we had a few stores slip uh, in, at the end of eighteen for a variety of reasons, uh, but it, it made for an a, an active start to this year. So we we anticipate a record year. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Any idea? Uh, you know. 
is it is it what you're doing? Is it the market? Is it a little bit of everything? Any idea what's bringing about your success this year? Well, it, it's probably all the above. Um, you know, Texas is a, uh, an attractive market. We're attracting uh, people really from all over the country. But uh, we've had, uh, for ourselves, we've had a slow and steady uh, approach uh, and I wasn't here in 1967, but I, I bought in at 1989. And, and we took a brand called Golden Fried Chicken that had very basic menu, bone-in fried chicken, tenders, and the uh, and a handful of sides. And we began the pro- process of making it more contemporary. Uh, it became Golden <coughs> Chick, excuse me, became Golden Chick. Most people think it was because we wanted to get fried out of the the name. As it turned <laughs> out, Golden Fried Chicken was generic, and so Golden Chick was as close as we could get to get a federal registration. So, uh, but in menu, uh, in building design, um, marketing, we have slowly but surely uh, kind of kept ramping up uh, all these years and. Try to be a little better this year than the last. Well, that's um, that's all you can do, really. Um, you know, I I know Golden Chick is, of course, about the chicken. But, you know, also, it's a lot more. And what kind of tickles me is the catfish on the menu. And, and I'd, I, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about the inclusion of the catfish, in particular, and, and really how it works with the rest of your menu, uh, you know, including those sides. Yeah, the, um, we established when I, when I came in a president's council um, made up of a few corporate folks and um, franchisees. And uh, we, we really listen. Uh, I mean, I view them as, as free consultants other than, you know, we pay for their travel. But... Um, and so the, uh, uh, particular in some of the smaller communities, franchisees have mentioned that we felt like we had some real opportunities, to, you know, during Lent and even other periods that, that maybe the size of these markets, uh, they didn't have an adequate fish house and, and true to our nature, uh, we don't do freezer to fryer, you know, products. I mean, so, you know, we, we spec a high quality uh, catfish, and we hand bred it in the store with a, a proprietary uh, uh, crust. And, and so, anyway, we listened, uh, we tried it. It became uh, a success um, for Lent, and it became such a success that we carried it on, and now it's uh, one of the core items. Um, and uh, it's it's really funny to me, but even in some of these smaller or medium-sized towns, we've been voted best catfish in that market, even though there may be a a 50-year-old catfish house or a fish house (laughs) that we're up against. And that's a big thing, particularly in the South, isn't it? I mean, your catfish is something that's like uh, your chili recipe. (laughs) Yeah, no, it really is. It's, and, uh, it's great, and 
you know, because we have really high standards uh, on what we select, um, it's it's American product, it's, it's farm raised, it's no belly fat and kind of that, on and on and on, I could tell you. So it's a little, a uh, little more pricey than, than what maybe the average uh, quick serve uh, oatmeal would be within our segment. But I, I have found through the years people are willing to pay for quality. Um, and, and in this case, often we will cook it to order. Uh, uh, the rest of our products uh, are not that way, but uh, fish doesn't tend to have as long a holding period. And we have found people don't mind waiting. They get good, fresh, hot products. So uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's all worked out really well. Well, I, um, you know, I, another thing that kind of intrigues me about this brand is its emphasis on family meals. Um, uh, are they a major purchase uh among yeah. your customers and oh, if we, so how do you market to the family as a customer yeah we uh we weren't the the uh ones to come up with this phrase but the home meal replacement um uh, <laughs> category is uh, is something we've done for for quite a while um you know there's some things you can make at home um and but frying chicken at home or even our roast product of you know, it's it's not real easy yet particularly in the south it's still a, a, a staple uh, for Sunday dinners or they have more and and so you know our packaging our menu um, is all been geared about that that we really call that our core customer now not to the exclusion of the single diner but when we do a promo, uh, we'll typically have what we call a family bundle that'll come with the uh, center of plate plus the the side items, and, and we'll have that, and then we'll have it in a in a single version as well. Um, and and what we've found, I guess, just through the years, that uh, people like to swing by and pick up some and then come lay it out on the table um, and we do a lot of research for a company of our size and we found that mom first entered the workforce in greater numbers convenience was the key and then over time uh, there there maybe was a little guilt that uh, mom wasn't providing the same meal experience <laughs> and so rather than a opening a pizza box I mean, or a bag of burgers, I mean, we can get a box of chicken. Uh, we've got salads. We've got, you know, a variety of healthy options that can put that plated up. You've got an entree. You've got side items. Uh, can pour a glass of milk. And now all of a sudden you got a real family meal. Yeah. 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 It, it, so that... It, is that perhaps why um, the brand has so many sides? And I wonder what kind of challenges that presents as far as prep, presentation, and really even training. Well, the good news is that uh, we get credit for having the variety. Um, and, and again, remember that we've been called the Walmart of chicken, so we really started in smaller towns. And so... Um, 
I think it was important that somebody be able to come to us and have um, a variety of, of items that they could come several times a week if, if necessary or they desired uh, and, and yet be able to have a different looking plate. Um, so that's, uh, I guess that, that really became the, the start of that is the variety piece of it. Uh, and when I and we seem to get credit for that. Um, it, the prep's not as a big of a deal because typically we will prep those items before or after a rush. Yeah. So um, other than you know, there's a, a little labor associated to to that prep, um, and even training presentation. Those things aren't aren't. A big issue. I mean, certainly people have to be trained properly, but we've got, you know, guidebooks, pictures, uh, and other training materials that have, helps make sure that that people stay on course. That, but, gosh, Shelley, the I would say the biggest challenge for us then becomes order accuracy. So, uh -huh. you know, yeah, if you're a concept with one item, fries and a drink, it's not too hard to mess that up but uh, when you've got a variety of entrees to choose from you've got a variety of side items um, it, you know that, that can be a problem and 70% of our business is through the drive-through so there's nothing more frustrating we know uh, than a customer getting home only to find out we left out a side or a roll or a sauce and uh, so you know we've we've taken steps. You know, we'll double check an order, um, for example. And now this past year we added uh, a, a order confirmation boards at the drive-through. Oh, is that right? Have you yeah. seen um, Have you seen a actual improvement with those, or have you been? Is it too early to track? Uh, you know we've. You know I don't really have any hard data other than. Um, Franchisees and even the company store folks saying, "Yeah, it, uh, it it helps because you know sometimes background noise or other things. You know, somebody may say one thing and somebody may hear something else, or we may have somebody is distracted and they meant to say one thing but something else came out. So catching it at that point um, is important, and then we repeat the order nevertheless, and and so the." Those things help. It's uh, not to say that we're perfect, but uh, we feel like we're uh, improving and we feel like offering the variety, um, particularly having some healthy options these days, uh, really gives us a competitive advantage. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. You know, I, I read that you all expect to open 25 stores this year, and I wonder um is how is that compares with previous years and where you're headed geographically seems like a lot well sure you know starting <laughs> around 2012 um what we had we've seen uh on average double digit um uh count gain you know so i mean you know openings minus closings is a net change and so that that net change <clears throat> pardon me through the years has 
uh, starting around then ha has averaged double digits. And we, uh, again, we worked with the franchise community um, and we put our money where our mouth was and we, we did some re-imaging, we uh, did some changes to the menu layout, uh, we put it in a couple of stores, uh, we involved the President's Council, and then in 2011 we rolled out our, uh, uh, our re-image and, you know, I always say success begets success. So, uh, you know, sales were up and people were feeling, you know, really good about uh, some of the menu items that, that we began to offer. And, you know, that, that momentum has just continued. Um, through it all, too, we upgraded the building. I mean, we spend more than probably the average you know, quick serve or even fast casual restaurant uh, rent in, you know, we've got stone, we've got brick, we got a little taller ceilings, uh, you know, a little upgraded uh, furniture package. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's not rocket science, uh, you know, <laughs> good food, good service in an attractive environment that you keep clean. Um, and, you know, people tend to like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to hear that, you know, because um, it, it seems the restaurant industry has gotten really complex. So, but that's what it breaks down to, isn't it? Um, as hard, as simple and as hard as that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not sure I finished the, your question that 25 is a record year for us. Um, uh, we've, we've had, 20, 22, 20, you know, over the past few years. Um, and for a chain that's what now is 184, you can do the math. And, and so we, we're, we're in the national publications and, you know, we get named the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing in the chicken segment because thankfully they go by a percentage. And so, we, we certainly have uh, competitors that are much bigger than us, uh, but with, with our lower base and with our, our momentum and our success, certainly as a percentage, um, we've, we've been demonstrating, uh, you know, the very good, good, steady growth, too. And I think that part's important as well. I, I, I haven't been... I haven't been all that excited about growing so fast that that we stub our toes um, and and then end up going backwards uh, and having to um, you know fix them. So you know it's kind of one of the the old cliche about the you know slow and steady wins the race. Exactly. You know, um, I, it seems that maybe the golden chick is something uh, the chicken category wants to keep an eye out for. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have enjoyed talking to you and enjoyed getting to know more about this brand and look forward to my next trip down south so I can swing by one and get a catfish sandwich. It sounds really good. <laughs> well, that's great. And um, I know the guy that owns the joint. So uh, I <laughs> please let me know and, and I'll be happy to to treat you, um, and and we continue to view Golden Chick as our foundational brand, and and through the years, um, you know, we've added things. I'm not a real creative guy, so 
the, we have something called Golden Tree Restaurants, uh, which is the parent for Golden Chick and Jalapeno Tree, a full-service Mexican. And then we, we've also ventured into uh, uh, full-serve uh, brick oven pizza, fireside pies. Uh, was started locally by a chef. And Texadelphia, Hef's Burgers, J.C. Burgers, uh, and we uh, about, about to start... Uh, start a taco uh, uh, operation. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy what I do and who I do it with. Um, and, uh, you know, the, we've got a great franchise community. And, and so anyway, life is very good. <laughs> well, that's wonderful to hear. Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I know our listeners do as well. Oh, great. Thank you, Shelley. I, I appreciate the interest. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye now. And please don't exit with the Golden Chick, because just ahead, we'll sit down with the director of the Food Service Packaging Institute to talk about the top concerns around restaurant disposables at the moment. The Interactive Customer Experience Association's mission is to connect B2C brands to technology that elevates the customer experience. Brands have access to resources, project help, news, and insights based around boosting their customer experience. Suppliers gain network opportunities to reach these brands and help them provide solutions to elevate their customer experience. Join today at ICXA.org. Right now, we are back and here with Food Service Packaging Institute President Lynn Dyer to talk about both the blessing and sometimes the bane of most QSR operators, and that is the stuff you put your food in, the packaging. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you very much. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Now, you all just wrapped up pretty recently, your 20th annual State of the Industry report last month. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I guess packaging companies, some, some of the findings from that uh, include that c- packaging companies are seeing the big growth area for them within food service is really coming for the fast casual arm of the limited service spectrum. Can you tell us a little about that? Well, certainly the use of single-use food service packaging, whether you're talking about cups or takeout containers, those types of items, you know, continue to grow as you see different types of market segments really try to latch on to additional sales opportunities. And certainly when you talk about things like fast casual, you know, you start to see certainly growth in the fast casual market, but a lot of it is dependent on food service packaging. And then when you look kind of more holistically about additional sales opportunities, what we're finding is that they tend to be perhaps off-premise. So it might be catering opportunities. It might be delivering opportunities. Certainly in the QSR segment, you know, traditionally roughly 70% of the meal items leave the store, whether it's been through carryout or through the drive-through. But with the substantial growth we're seeing in terms of both, again, catering and delivery, those numbers are just going up and up. And I would say a lot of that is dependent on food service packaging. And I imagine it's bringing into the realm even more demands on food service packagers. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if I can take a, a small step back here first and ask you 
If you could maybe give us an idea of the types of food service packaging materials that are now available, because it really goes way beyond paper-based products, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the history of food service packaging, it's been around for over 100 years, and it certainly started out in paper, and that's really what was it was predominantly made from. Then you started to see a bit of aluminum made, um, oh, let's call it about 70 years ago or so, and then plastics really came onto the scene. And today, really, you see a roughly split between paper and plastics. Uh, with aluminum having a smaller market share of of the overall market share of of food service packaging. But even within the paper and plastic segments, you see a lot of changes in differentiation these days. So on the paper side, for example, you know, what we think of as paper is typically comes from trees. But what we're seeing more and more is other types of fiber materials. So it may not come from trees. It may come from things like bagasse, which is a byproduct of sugar cane, or it might come from wheat straw, or it might come from other types of fiber products. On the plastic side, you know, right now what we have seen is traditionally there were, uh, well, let's say it started off really as polystyrene was pretty much the dominant resin, but then you also then saw PET and polypropylene come into the marketplace, and then today you also have uh, PLA, uh, which is a corn-based um, plant-based material that you would find that's typically used because you want to have some a compostable type packaging. But in that case, it's also a renewable material. So um, the interesting thing I would say is that you're seeing a lot of different new materials coming into the marketplace or combinations of the materials. So you might have a paper cup with a PLA coating. Again, that's a renewable material coming from, from, from corn essentially. So um, you know, it's really fascinating to see the different types of materials being used right now and also the combinations of them. Single-use products have really been identified by your members as leading the concerns of the food service brands they work with today. And I'm wondering, what are your members hearing from brands? What do they want? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of attention on the environmental impact of single-use food service packaging, and that can't be overstated, but at the same time, we also have to remember why was single-use food service packaging, you know, invented in the first place, and that was really to protect public health and making sure that you're able to provide prepared foods and beverages in a safe and sanitary manner. And so that continues, but when you start to see things like delivery, and delivery is not necessarily just by car, it might be by or drone or robot or who knows what's coming down the pike, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more performance pressures on that. So, you know, are you making sure that the packaging doesn't leak? Are you making sure that the items in the packaging still, you know, the hot foods stay hot and the cold foods stay cold? And certainly one of the challenges that we're seeing more so these days are things like, are the fries staying nice and crispy? Because you want to make sure that the customer has the same experience, whether they're eating in the restaurant or in the comfort of their own home. And so from a performance standpoint, you see a lot of that. But there's also still that same concern or the question of, okay, well, I'm using a single-use item. What does that environmental impact look, uh, look like? And so I think there's been a lot of discussion of how do you lessen that environmental impact while still being able to, uh, you know, afford the opportunity to provide those foods and, uh, and beverages on the go. What can you, since you're kind of on the inside there, what's underway to meet these needs and who's involved? Like what's really new and exciting that's coming well, down I as think, far as? 
Talking yeah, to and me. I would say there are a couple of different things. So I think who's involved, I think we have seen, uh, you know, over the years, a greater collaboration throughout the supply chain. So from the raw material suppliers to so the folks that are making the paper or the resin or whatever it happens to be, to the converter, to the distributor, to the food service operator, in this case, a, a QSR chain, we see a lot of collaboration up and down that supply chain happening. And that really then results in better products to meet the needs of both that uh, operator but also their customers. So I think that is, is, uh, is very beneficial. Um, in terms of collaboration, I think the other thing to think about is from an environmental standpoint is how can we all work together, again, going back to that, how do you lessen that footprint? So things like, you know, a number of years ago, you never saw any food service packaging that was made with recycled content. Today, you're seeing a growing number of items in the marketplace that are made with recycled content. And that's really the industry saying, hey, we want to make sure we're using less virgin materials and put, putting some of that uh, recycled material back into our product and helping to close the loop. And that's something that happens when the QSR chain or whoever it is says, you know what, I'm willing to buy these materials because I know they're in the marketplace and it's the right thing for me to do for my sustainability goals. So I think that's certainly the case what we're seeing in the, on, the, on the recycling side. From a composting side, which is another key area in terms of recovery for our products, we see more um, compostable options that are out in the marketplace that QSRs are able to, to to use, um, especially if they're looking for food waste diversion programs. So we're seeing a lot of tension on, you know, you shouldn't be putting valuable resources in a landfill, whether that's packaging or whether that's food. And, you know, could a QSR start using compostable packaging, couple that with its food waste, and send that to a composter? That's certainly better use of those resources than burying those. It's uh, it's creativity's time to shine, huh? <laughs> it is. It is. And that's what's exciting to see. You know, again, we've been around for over 100 years. The industry will continue to innovate to bring new materials into the marketplace um, to meet the demands of, uh, of their customers. Of all the restaurant categories, how much of the heat do you think QSR brands get about single use? I mean, are they taking the heavy load, the most of it? I think they are because they're the predominant user of food service packaging. So if you take a look at where food service packaging is used, it's certainly used in almost all food service outlets today, but to varying degrees. But given the business model for today's QSR uh, operations, again, I mentioned roughly 70% of the, the foods and beverages leave the store. Well, that's then dependent on food service packaging. You know, if you look at something like full-service restaurants where the majority of the customers are coming into the restaurants and sitting down, and really the only single use they're using is maybe a to-go container if they don't finish their meal or if they're offering delivery, but the use of it is far less. And I think one of the things, because you know, uh, eating on the go is just part of our daily, very busy lives. I think yeah. there's a general uh, impression that there's a lot more food service packaging out in the marketplace than there really is. You know, it's interesting because if you look at the, uh, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, they collect data. And if you look at the data that they have, uh, there's less than 2% of the material that's going into today's landfill is food service packaging. But if you ask most people, they would think that, you know, landfills are, what, 25, 30, 40, 50 percent uh, with food service packaging, but that's simply not the case. No kidding. I'm, I'm blown away by that. That's less than 2 percent, according to the EPA. Yeah. 
That's correct. And, and it's, again, because so many consumers go out and they grab their coffee first thing in the morning. They might grab a snack later on. You know, they're trying to take their kids off to soccer practice. They're grabbing something on the go. So it's a part of our daily lives, but we don't necessarily think about, while it's important to our daily lives, it, you know, the broader impact and really the whole breadth of other materials that are in the marketplace right now. Wow. I can't let you go today without asking you about... Okay, so uh, fungus-based packaging. I saw a video mm-hmm. about it. I'm fascinated by it. What do you know about it? So I have seen that being used predominantly more in the protective packaging space. So if you think about like foam polystyrene that might be wrapped around your televisions or other materials that are that are being shipped to you, I've seen it being used there, not necessarily in food service packaging, certainly not at this point. I think the other thing to think about is, particularly when you're talking about quick service restaurant chains, just the sheer volume and the massive supply chain that you have to feed is tremendous. So if you were to come up with some brand new packaging like fungus packaging, which of course you're always going to see new materials and it's very exciting to see something like that, but is there enough in the marketplace to feed you know, the marketplace? And, and it'll take time for uh, many of these products to become commercially viable at the scale that you really need to see that. I see. Well, okay, this is a little bit of a crystal ball question for you, but I'm hoping you can answer what you would hope to see, let's say, in 10 years at QSRs when it comes to packaging. What would be your big dream? You know, I think that if you think about the packaging that's used today, um, it's honestly very similar to what we've seen for the last couple of decades. I think we will continue to see some innovations. But to be honest with you, I think one of my biggest concerns these days is that whether there'll even be single-use packaging in QSRs. If you look at the legislative landscape, which we do follow um, at FPI here, uh, you know, one of the things that we're starting to see is more calls for reusable packaging. So, for example, earlier this year, Berkeley, California, passed probably the most onerous piece of legislation we had ever seen. And in that case, as of July 1, 2020, any QSR restaurant serving customers in the store, they're going to have to use reusable mugs and ceramic plates and real silverware. Single use is not going to be allowed. So mm-hmm. as there's growing attention on you know, the use of single-use items, I want to make sure that we're being able to continue to have that safe sanitary delivery of prepared foods through single-use items. Interesting. That gives us food for thought. Lynn, I appreciate it. Thank you for stopping in. You've kept us quite up to date on the status of things, and we will continue to do so. <laughs> That's th- that, thank you very much, Shelley. And if I could put a little plug, uh, FPI does offer a free membership for QSR brands. So if you're interested, please have them contact me. <laughs> you snuck that in on us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Shelley. All right, that just about does it for this week's show, but you know we'll be right back here seven days from now to talk to a cool new dedicated delivery brand that emerged out of a third-party delivery provider's data. That's next week, right here. And until then, please have a terrific weekend and even better business in the week ahead. <laughs>